shall talk about the, the meaning of Pavarana today, the Maha Pavarana full moon, uh, as instituted by the Buddha, uh, with uh, regulations for the Sangha and what is the meaning of it all. Does anyone know? Pavarana, what does it mean? Aradhana. You say that in Sri Lanka, ne? Aradhana. Exactly, invitation. Pavarana is an invitation. So what are the monks going to do? Do they invite the lay community to stay in the monastery? Do they invite each other for dinner or for going for a party? This is typical invitations in which we like to extend. Don't you like to come over, uh, have dinner and so on going out? But the Dhamma of the Buddha tends to go against the stream of craving, against the stream of the world, and going upstream, always uh, against the grain of the defilements. Uh, this is why Dhamma practice not only becomes smooth and natural from the state of stream entry onwards, and then the mind inclines in that direction naturally, and before that, we have to make a, a constant effort with great determination, always preventing from being swept along by defilements and uh, redirecting the mind and making the effort to push against the stream. What is an invitation that goes very much against the stream? An invitation for admonishment, an invitation for criticism, a constructive criticism, showing that one is amiable to receive feedback. And that is a function. This morning we did the ceremony. Ayasmanti, Pavadi, me, the friends. I invite the venerable ones, Dirtenava, Sotenava, Parisankaiva, regarding anything seen, heard, or suspected that I may have done that is against the discipline and the rules of the Buddha. Vadantamang ayas manta anukampang upadaya. May the venerable ones please speak to me. May they please admonish me. May they please point out my uh, failures as regards to the discipline, the rules of discipline, the vinyas laid down by the Buddha. Out of compassion, out of kindness and compassion. It's not an invitation, and now you can let off steam if you're unhappy or aggressive. No, this, this is not the idea, no, but out of compassion, uh, if any one of my companions in the holy life no, feels that out of compassion they want to point out where I may have a blind spot regarding the rules and discipline, that they please no, uh, let me know. Out of compassion. Pasanto patekaresami, and if I see the mistake, no, once I understand it, what I did wrong, and then I will make amends. Almost scary, isn't it? 
And have you been to your dear spouse, if you're married, the last time? My dear husband, my dear wife, if there's anything seen, heard or suspected, which I may have done, please admonish me, please let me know. Can you notice how the defilements don't like that? I mean, one reason we may not like it, obviously we can open up here only uh, if the other person has uh, certain standards, first of all, that they're really uh, acting out of compassion. You wouldn't want to invite an enemy or someone who has already shown that they are hostile to you or very biased. But if it is someone uh, who has a good intention to us, and also it can't be a completely ignorant person, obviously. It has to be someone uh, who would have some idea of what is uh, appropriate and correct behavior in terms of Dhammavinya. Uh, of course, in our situation, uh, living together with monks, uh, one would hope that they have the, the knowledge and the understanding for that, so it's a little bit easier to uh, open for that. It's only done within the Sangha, within the community of monks. There's also Dhammapada Gata, where the Buddha points out that if someone admonishes us or criticizes us for our faults, we should regard that as someone pointing out a hidden treasure. <laughs> but usually we don't feel like that. I mean, if we get criticized, there's basically two options. I would suggest option one, the criticism is invalid, maybe just nonsense, we may have never done that, maybe a misunderstanding, or the person has no idea what actually is a Dhammavinya. In that case, I would suggest no need to get upset, because nonsense anyhow, we are okay, we are pure. Or the other option, uh, the person is quite correct in their criticism. Again, no reason to become upset or angry, because then that's fantastic. We have an opportunity to correct ourselves. It's fascinating to watch the mind, how it responds to criticism, even slight criticism. Usually in a very um, touchy on that one, isn't it? doesn't feel nice and even when you have the best intentions it's usually amazingly difficult to take that I remember once this one temple in Singapore where I gave a talk and they had a system for all their speakers that all the attendees would be invited to fill out a questionnaire with all this kind of grading of the teacher in terms of knowledge audibility and a clear enunciation, uh, uh, whether it's boring and so on, quite a long question here. Yeah. I was quite intrigued and I had never encountered that before as a Buddhist monk. And uh, I later asked whether I can at least see a, a few of them. 
but unfortunately, in you know, being a Buddhist culture and me being a Buddhist monk, you know, they were incredibly uh, soft and complimentary on me, and they're usually giving very high ratings. And uh, I remember even in terms of uh, distributing uh, additional material or something, they gave me high ratings, although I hadn't distributed anything at all. That's an advantage being a monk. We, recently, we accidentally, I had that thing inside here, and then I put the case for the little recorder on top, and then I accidentally switched on the live cam after the talk on Saturday, and then we had a 12-hour live cast and just with a black screen. The screen, while the screen protector was on the camera, but some kind Buddhist gave us a liking for that one. Even. <laughs> so I'm very much appreciative that uh, the audience is so kind to Buddhist monks. They may have thought it's a kind of Zen teaching, the just emptiness, 12 hours black screen, nothing. But even on that occasion, I think there was actually one of these uh, assessments I got, in one area there was some criticism. I mean, of all these people, and in just one area, one person had some criticism. I noticed how I immediately got defensive. And what first came to my mind, that for this and that reason, this criticism is somehow not valid, and how could I do that? But fortunately I noticed, and it's fascinating to see. What is your response to admonishment? Now, assuming it comes from a reasonably knowledgeable, even wise person, that it's coming from an attitude of compassion and kindness. But even then, we usually become defensive, as a typical one, merely trying to defend ourselves, to immunize ourselves from criticism. Is this a good strategy for growth? Is that a good strategy for us to improve ourselves? No, not really. What is another typical response? Uh, Counter-accusation. You know that one? Someone criticizes you and you oh, what are you telling me? What did you do last week? This and that. There's a typical response, counter-accusing. Sometimes a counter-accusation may be uh, accurate, or truthful, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, if the person did something wrong, that doesn't mean that we didn't do something wrong as well. You know, they may still be correct on that point. So it's good you know, using mindfulness and you know, in investigating that, you know, carefully watching, observing you know, how our mind responds. Have you heard of Venerable Channa? Do you know Channa? He was one of the proud Sakyan princes, and as you said, born on the same day as the Buddha growing up with him. And very important, he was his charioteer. He was the one uh, being the charioteer for the chariot when the king went out. So when the Bodhisattva had his outings, they encountered you know, the old person, the sick person, the dead body, and the samana, the ascetic. Uh, Channa was actually his charioteer. But later he got inspired and became a monk. However, as you said, he was quite conceited, quite proud, 
that was a trade which ran in the Sakyan tribe anyhow. And of course, they were the very highest caste. They considered them themselves, even among uh, against King Pasenadi, they considered themselves in a higher caste and uh, more well-born. And so particularly this uh, aristocracy, the princess, yeah, you know, they had a strong sense of pride and conceit. And Shana additionally you know, being so close to the Buddha, and then he was unwilling to take any admonishment, any instruction of any of the monks, you know, even the Abahans, even the great disciples, you know, much less any other monk, he, he wouldn't allow them to talk to him. In fact, one of the uh, quite serious Sangha di Sesa words of Amavinya was introduced by the Buddha because of Chana. One thing how Chana tried to immunize himself against criticism, he would suggest to the other monks, okay, you don't tell me anything what I may be doing wrong and I don't tell you anything either. So you don't criticize me, you don't see I don't see and don't <laughs> I don't speak. Whatever I do, you don't criticize me. I don't criticize you back either. And so we both live at ease, keeping it easy and simple. How would how did the Buddha respond on that idea in the Sangha? We should exactly. Anyamanya vachanena, anyamanya vodhapanena. We have to talk, instruct, admonish each other in the Sangha. We have to vodhana, we have to raise ourselves up, raise ourselves up out of offenses and point out shortcomings, encourage each other to practice the Dhamma properly. So the Buddha made a very strong rule, and if any monk suggests that, so you don't say anything what I do wrong, I don't say anything about you either. We actually have a duty to go there and to admonish that monk that this is against the Dhamma. And after that has happened, then the whole procedures for the serious Sangha offense start being implemented. The Buddha considered that so serious. The Sangha wouldn't work if you all make ourselves unapproachable for any admonishment. Why is it so incredibly important to be able to be amiable to constructive criticism? Well, you can improve yourself, isn't it? You just are mindful and you look what you're doing nowadays and you can even record yourself and better look what you're doing there. Why do you need other people? You just correct yourself. Hmm? There can be blind spots. Why? We don't see our exactly. Now this is what we call delusion, moha, avidja, ignorance. And it's particularly powerful in regarding our own mind, regarding our own behavior. Now why? Because you know, the delusion of ego, I, me, mine, It's amazing how powerful that is, Nasakaya Ditti, entity view, self, delusion. Now 
just look at anyone you know quite well, any family member, any close friends, any people you know well from work. I'm sure every single one, if I ask you, what is the real weakness of that person? You know immediately, isn't it? That person has a tendency to be angry, that person is very lazy, uh, that person is conceited, uh, that person is uh, very uh, central, that person is very um, stubborn in anything, isn't it? Very easy to see. Every single one you can immediately notice, now this is a real weak point. Now we look at ourselves. Hmm? I mean, for sure we are not enlightened, we have our little weaknesses, but nothing quite so obvious like in these other people, isn't it? Nothing so distinct and not quite perfect, but by and large quite okay. No? <laughs> Is that realistic? That all these people, every single one we look at, has this very obvious shortcoming or even multiple of them. And in our own case, now yeah, some little faults, but by and large quite okay. No real big issue. Is that realistic? Or that maybe that we can't see it because of the delusion. And this is why this external input is so important. Because if we don't have this strong delusion with other people, I mean, if we really hate them or if we are uh, in love, then of course the delusion is very intense also to others. But particularly if it's not a very close relationship, say children, parents, there can also be a lot of delusions and problems. But if it's someone, a friend, we know for a long time, an uncle, auntie, we know for a long time. And it's much more objective, it's much more easy to, to see things. And this is how we can tap into that. And we recognize, we acknowledge, although we can't see it, now we have delusion in our own mind in assessing ourselves. Even if we can't see it, we acknowledge that. Because in the delusion, by definition, you can't see it. The moment you see it, it's no longer delusion. So we have to be fully aware that there is huge blind spots. I have huge blind spots regarding my own defilements, my own weaknesses. Sometimes, of course, also regarding one's own strength. There can also be blind spots. And we acknowledge that, even if we can't see them. And then we recognize that other people, just like we can easily see the problems in others, so they can easily see them in us, so we can tap into that. That's why the Buddha said, and it's like pointing out hidden treasure. If someone uh, criticizes us in a constructive way and coming from a position of being knowledgeable about Dhamma and having uh, pure intentions and compassion and kindness. Now, this is why it's good to associate with senior Kalyanamitas and the teachers. This is why it's quite difficult to stay with someone like Ajahn Man, Ajahn Chah. There were very few monks, particularly in the beginning, Ajahn Man was very, very strict. 
and uh, obviously a mind reader, which doesn't make things easier for training with him. And the very few monks had the ability you know, to really stay with him. But if you look at the results, now there's this uh, very amazing photo of uh, Ajahn Man's funeral. And uh, it wasn't that big, you know, like later when uh, other monks, even Ajahn Chah also, a half a million on this main day on the funeral and a million people coming through over the week or something like that. Ajahn Man was still much, much smaller. You can fit the Sangha present there on one photo. But so many of those the later, the very famous, very great teachers, largely widely regarded as fully enlightened Amahans. And how was that possible? And one reason is that he would uh, be willing to do that service of admonishing. Lumpur La once shared a list of long, long list of things how you would get kicked out of Ajahn Man's monastery. The, uh, waking up much later than three o'clock regularly, having a long nap in the afternoon, uh, going to bed shortly after dusk, uh, smashing the doors loudly, smashing the uh, window shutters loudly, not washing the uh, foot wiping cloth uh, regularly and shaking them out, uh, leaving tools out in the rain. And it continues a long, long, long. If you did any of that and you couldn't correct it, you wouldn't get kicked out immediately. You would get a chance to correct yourself. But if you didn't manage to correct yourself, then you're out. But then you have now all these outstanding Abahans looking up to Ajahn Man as a teacher. So it's good to have that awareness. I am deluded. I don't like to say that. But now you have to acknowledge that. Second, I can't see it. If I could see it, now I wouldn't be deluded. From that, now as a natural influence, I'm in need of help. So if I'm deluded, I can't see it. Quite a serious situation, isn't it? So we have to acknowledge that we are in need of help and uh, admonishment and uh, outstanding teachers is the, the best way. If you have someone like Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Man, if you have someone like the Buddha. But even the Buddha is still very effective for that. Because sometimes it may appear that it's a good idea to break the precept. Has it ever occurred to you? That you're in a situation where it somehow appears to you, maybe I should break that precept? You can be sure it's delusion. <laughs> the, the basic precepts, the Buddha, they're very unambiguous. And if you get a feeling in that situation, oh, the proper course of action is probably if I break that precept. If it looks like that, then you know this is delusion. And so we can still use even the supreme wisdom, knowledge and insight of the Buddha in that regard. 
Well, this is why it's great. And the more precepts you have, uh, when you start bumping against them, then you know you're dealing with your own delusion. And of course, and having good friends in the Dhamma. In fact, you know, the really good friends are usually not rushing to criticize you, and you really have to beg them. It's another reason the Buddha instituted that ceremony. In practice, now I've never seen it happening, that someone brings up anything in that ceremony. It would usually be done in, uh, in the one-up beforehand. So that you sort it out beforehand, because everyone knows what the ceremony is about and what's happening. And that you can go through the ceremony without any disturbance. But in the one-up, no one can sort out anything, because hopefully everyone has that attitude from the awareness that this ceremony is coming up and what it means. And you find uh, uh, the best Dhamma practitioners, uh, you, you really have to coax them and, and beg them to criticize you because good people, they're usually not keen. And the ones who are actually keen on criticizing you, that is the ones you sometimes they can actually dis disregard that criticism because it may be coming from uh, their own defilements, their own anger, their own biases. The best ones are usually the ones who are not keen on it. And then you have to back them. But then if they move ahead and you know they're really knowledgeable and coming from compassion and kindness, they're very valuable. And if you have someone like uh, Ajahn Man, Ajahn Chah and so on, and you can stand living with them, that is the very best. If you have that kind of teacher, you, the Buddha recommended that even if you get kicked out, you sneak in through the back door. You never let go of that person who admonishes you like that. 